welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. We're going to be uh, talking about many things about the church, our church, and the biblical church that we seek to become. Uh, and then I'm going to be going into a short teaching uh, at the end of my remarks about being a church that loves the deep things of the Word of God. And the, the, the text I'll be referring to is the text I'll read as we open, and it's Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 11. So together with me is the gathered church of Christ. In this place, let us hear the word of God. Paul wrote to that church in Ephesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the bo- building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's guiding and perfect word. May we hear it in all of its truth today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, uh, if you've been with us over the last several years, uh, you know that early in the year, I take a Sunday and either a portion of it or, as in today, the full portion of the message time, and I talk about the state of the ministry. And uh, the reason I do that is is uh, in part because every year in late January, the members of our church gather and we hold a, a, a members meeting together in which uh, myself and, and our leaders review what has happened over the past year. And uh, not only in terms of uh, the bricks and mortar of ministry, the dollars and cents, the nickels and noses, so to speak. Always wanted to say that in front of a congregation, the nickels and noses. <laughs> And also the, the spiritual achievements, what we have seen God do uh, through our ministry and the lives of people and uh, those that come to Christ and those that grow in Christ. And so we do that every year, but uh, not, not all of you have a chance to be a part of that. It's usually a smaller gathering. It's during the week. And, and so a number of years ago, I decided to bring the news from that to the gathered church on a Sunday morning. And so I've been doing that. And I'm going to do it again today. Uh, So this will be a little different uh, sermon segment to your church service experience. And if you're really new with us, this will be brand new to you. I hope it builds you up uh, as you kind of get into the inner workings of the church a little bit. Uh, So um, as in previous years, I'm going to, to actually update you on the state of our ministry by reading my report. Uh, I'll read it animatedly, but I will read it. And uh, so you're going to get the report that I gave to the to the people gathered at that meeting a few weeks ago. And uh, you'll also be able to get a copy of it. Not this week. That's my bad. It's not on our staff. It's my bad. Next week at our resource center outside in the outer lobby, you can pick up not only a copy of what I'm going to briefly read to you, but also uh, just uh, the records of our church. All of our ministries and our leaders submit uh, a report every year about what they've seen God do and what the challenges have been. Every sector of our ministry and volunteers, leaders as well, staff, You'll see that in there. You'll see all of the dollars and cents of how our ministry was put together financially and what 
occurred in that realm. So I'm going to do that in just a moment. And uh, I'm going to talk to you also about some of the prayer hopes that we have about doing some, some added work in our ministry over the next year. And then I'm going to share a message uh, after I remind you of what our mission is. And I'm going to share a message from one of our core values, actually two put together this year, uh, about one of my hopes for this year that we would grow in. So that's what's going to happen. Now, before I get into all the mechanics and the messaging of that, uh, I want to introduce uh, our leaders to you from the elder level, because at that meeting, we affirmed uh, a new group of elders. We do that every year. Uh, some of them continue in their terms of service and others are brand new. And uh, I've always believed it's important for you to understand and know who these men are and uh, what they've gone through to, to, to be brought into office and I want to affirm them this morning. And so I'm going to uh, ask uh, our elders who are present today, there's two or three who are not because of travel or illness, but I'm going to ask them to stand and remain standing. And then I'm going to ask Gene Arnold, who is going to be our moderator again this year, that's the servant leader of our elders, to come and pray a prayer of dedication for our men. So first of all, Gene, if you would stand, and Gene is uh, going to serve again as our moderator this year of our elder team. Uh, David Carpenter, is right there in the back, and he will again serve this year as vice moderator uh, for our elder board. David Schumann is over here to uh, your left, and David is going to continue to serve as secretary and continue in his term as an elder. Uh, Philip Krishun, Philip is here to uh, your right, and Philip is going to be returning to our elder board after uh, serving in the past, and he is going to continue also to serve as our church treasurer. So all matters of financial stuff, you can ask Philip, right? Uh, Kevin Doyle is not with us today due to family travel, but Kevin continues with us uh, as an elder. Bruce DeVries uh, uh, continues with us, rather new to eldership, although he served before. Bruce is uh, coming back from his work with Mission Aviation Fellowship down in Boise, I believe. He's traveling today. Mike Danielson. Mike, I saw you earlier. Mike uh, continues to serve on our board this next year. Keith Bolster is in the back. He's also serving in our sound team today. And so Keith is uh, is a new elder joining us for his first term. And uh, a final new elder is Paul Stevens. I don't think Paul is going to be here today because he's been ill this week. But those men that are standing and those whom I've mentioned are going to be uh, laboring along with me to lead our church this year. I want you to see them They've all uh, gone through a, an affirmation process at our elder level. They also were affirmed by our congregation uh, on Thursday, uh, that Thursday night some weeks ago in our congregational meeting. They've affirmed our, our doctrine, our bylaws, and, and uh, the call of what it means to be an elder here at Valley Forth Church. So, uh, Gene, would you come and just uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our elder team this year? Amen. Did they really? Way to go. Oh, man, let's give them a hand. That's right. What a save. Amen. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with ease. Nor yet is lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be example to the flock. And although we ask that this would be true in this amended year, we ask that you would work in them and through them for their blessing, for the blessing of this congregation and this community. We look to you and rejoice in your name. Amen. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, men. You can be seated. And uh, we, we appreciate every single one. Thank you. 
And you know, Gene, you do remind me of something that I haven't done frequently enough in these times, and that's to mention uh, our, our uh, key ministry staff, pastors and ministry directors. So I want to ask Pastor Dan Starcevich, who's new here as associate pastor, to stand. He may be serving outside. There he is. And Pastor Sam Kramer, our pastor of student ministries, to stand over here. Yep, I'm grateful for you guys. Thank you. We also have ministry directors. We have two, Liz Krishun, who works in our worship ministry. Liz, Stan, everybody sees you all the time. Grateful for Liz. And uh, Mary Sagala, it cannot be here because she's shepherding a bunch of kids downstairs. So, but you saw Mary earlier. And so let's give Mary, yes, there you go. Amen and amen. Well, let me uh, get to this report that I, I presented uh, some weeks ago. And again, you'll grab a copy as you leave. This is how I presented it uh, that night. This is the senior pastor's annual reports covering the ministry in, at Valley Forth Church for 2022. The year 2022 found Valley Forth Church celebrating its 50th anniversary. This past September, hundreds of past and present members of the Valley Forth Church family gathered on our campus to celebrate this milestone, sharing special memories and watching as the continual story of disciple-making unfolded in our service through baptisms and other stories of new life in Christ. It was thrilling for me to know that our church is continuing the mission upon which it was first founded in 1972, making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. Let me take just a moment to share with you just some of the highlights of this past year in terms of our efforts toward achieving that mission. Making disciples. If you're newer here, that's how we describe evangelism, building relationships and leading people to Christ. Even after 50 years, what I call new life signs of the gospel moving in human lives are still visible every day here at Valley Forth Church. This past year saw decisions for Christ at all age levels, new visitors becoming new attenders, a wonderful influx of new members to our congregation, and a demonstrable increase in the number of people volunteering for ministry. We also saw tangible signs of our outreach growing as our children's and youth camps and VBS reached more young people with the gospel. And our missions outreach celebrated the planting of eight new churches in the 1040 window through our partnership with the Timothy Initiative. Teaching disciples, which is our way of talking about deepening in teaching and maturity as people grow in Christ. One of the hallmarks of Valley Fourth Church has been deep Bible teaching that results in deeply obedient lives. We saw this ministry continue to grow in all age sectors. Our children's ministry continued to shape young lives through the great assistance of volunteers. Through the committed leadership of godly teachers, our women's ministry continued to thrive with life-deepening Bible studies and events to gather women in fellowship. Our youth ministry created a new discipleship study on Thursday nights that has taken a new step toward deepening the lives of students who have been transformed by our overall youth ministries. Our men's ministry restarted and led a wonderful group of men of all ages through multiple studies using video from godly teachers around the world and forming small group communities for men on Monday nights. Our Christian life classes provided consistent Bible teaching and community for people in our early Sunday morning hour. Our home groups, though few in number, remained healthy and delivered life application teaching to a wide range of ages. And finally, our church gathered around the challenge of completing a new children's ministry center downstairs in our worship building, giving our children from birth through fifth grade a dedicated education environment for the first time in our history. Sending disciples, which is our description of how we help people find their place in ministry. 2022 also saw an unusual number of people begin ministry for the first time here at Valley Forth, as volunteers in many different areas of ministry covering all ages came forth. One of the biggest areas of response we witnessed was in new volunteers who help with our children's ministry. This is a labor-intensive part of what we do, and the need for loving and godly volunteers that we experienced was met enthusiastically. In addition, we saw our worship teams grow with new gifted participants, as well as our audiovisual team. Our Stephen ministry team completed a long-anticipated training series, leading to new Stephen ministers 
who will be introduced in early 2023, and who fact, in fact, I did introduce a couple of weeks ago here on the platform. In addition to all of this, the faithful participation of men and women who have served as volunteers for many years continued. One special area of service this year was that of a team of laypeople who have assisted me in pastoral care. This team conducted over 150 personal or telephone visits with people over the last year to help these less visible but still important members of our church to be cared for and included. My special thanks to this team. Also, as you know, in 2022, we experienced the sudden loss of two key elders from our leadership team as they passed on to be with the Lord. But this challenge was met by God's provision of experienced past elders who rose to take their places and by the raising up of new elders to expand the maturity and experience that our elder board already possesses. As you might expect, one of the key indicators of health and of a good future for any church is its ability to reproduce godly leaders for the next generation. I'm very grateful that this development of leaders has been taking place here at Valley Fourth Church. And finally, our church also was blessed to be able to welcome Pastor Dan Starcevich to our staff team as our new associate pastor after a lengthy and prayerful search. We're so grateful for Pastor Dan's experience, education, and teaching gifts, and believe that they will add immeasurably to our ability to fulfill our mission of developing disciples. All of this ministry, praise the Lord, amen. All of this ministry occurred during a year of very generous financial giving by our congregation. Every one of our ministry and missions expenditures were met while added giving allowed us to see long-needed improvements to our physical plant be completed. This past year, we were able to accomplish the re-roofing of our education building, the repair and replacement of our education building walkway, and the completion of our new children's ministry center, all thanks to the generous giving of our congregation. Amen. I agree with that. This is another sign of health and vision in the life of a church. Add to it the increased efforts and involvement in personal ministry that I've highlighted above, and I'm sure you'll join with me in recognizing that 2022 was a year for which we have much to look back upon with thanksgiving. Respectfully submitted, Pastor Joe Persh. So we're grateful for what God has done. I'm going to just highlight... Uh, two or three parts of uh, some goals that our staff is setting for this next year. Every year, I ask them to set goals in their ministries and bring them to me, and we discuss them, and, and uh, just lifting a few out of that so you can understand some of the things we're praying about. Uh, it's, it's labor enough, and if you run an organization, you know this, it's labor enough to do what you've been doing. In fact, in this day and age, you have to work 30% harder every year, they tell me, to keep just, just keep doing what you've been doing in the last year. That's the nature of, of what organizations are. But our staff also wants to do more in their areas of ministry. In our children's ministry, the focus is, uh, is going to be on training the many new volunteers that God provided last year. It was a remarkable year in that regard. And so a couple of Mary's goals are to train small group facilitators to manage and initiate their work in, in, in the children's small groups ministries now that they've come on board as facilitators. And also to train up a, another level of volunteers who can begin to take on some of the detailed responsibilities as that ministry grows so that uh, areas that have been handled by higher up more trained people can be proliferated to those that are newer in the ministry experience. There's a lot more I could share about that. Our youth ministry uh, continues to innovate and uh, work particularly on developing evangelism experiences. And uh, that's part of the lead the cause effort, which they're going to do again this year in Denver, Colorado. A couple of Sam's goals are to prioritize new students for that event. Uh, those who have never attended it before, it's a challenge. It's a faith stretcher for these students. It's scary. We're talking about aggressive, prayer-powered evangelism, and we're praying for new students to answer the call to that for Lead the Cause. 
There's also a new Thursday night ministry environment, a Thursday night Bible study that's leveling up higher levels of discipleship for students and leaders. And Sam wants to take that and build on its success. He started it last year, and they're going to be working through a curriculum called Discipleship Essentials by Greg Ogden. And he wants to level that up to a higher uh, point with those more advanced students and leaders. When we talk about uh, uh, worship ministry behind the scenes. You see it here a lot, but there's a ton of work that Liz and her volunteers do behind the scenes. One of her goals is to uh, build up and train up new team members through a tool called the Worship Workshop Experience. It's a leadership training site that the team members are going to be involved in. They're going to be involved in, in videos and training by national leaders in worship on their own time and then go through a group learning experience with Liz to grow in this wonderful thing we call worship leadership. So they're going to grow in greater depth as well. That's another goal of hers is to create more opportunities for them to build relationships within the team. It's a work intensive environment and she wants to build personal relationships through fellowship gatherings so that they're, they can all take on a greater level of ministry. Our adult realm of ministry is wide ranging. Myself and Pastor Dan Starcevich work in giving servant leadership to that area. Uh, Dan and I have met in his short time here. We've got a list of things to do, but just two or three of those uh, will be focusing uh, on establishing and strengthening connections to people that are new to VFC or new to the faith, both connecting them to our church, but also connecting them to the essentials of, of Christian faith and doing all that we can to improve that experience. Second, uh, a vision is to strengthen the home group ministry. Uh, we, we know that we've explained what, that what, a, what a need that is in our ministry and how challenging it is in this day and age. And we're taking on developing and strengthening that with a philosophy approach and assisting the growth of new potential leaders and launching more groups. And then thirdly, uh, this past year, we, we saw how much we need to help communicate to you. This is third out of many, by the way. Uh, just the third I'll mention, how much we need to help you understand the power this church has around the world through its global outreach teams. And uh, we realize that we need to do a better job of communicating and bringing that to life with you. And so that's something we're prayerfully committing to as well. And you'll see changes here on the platform and in our life as a church to help all of that happen. So those are some things that we're prayerfully looking, looking to, to see God do. We're also going to navigate a change in our staff uh, picture that I and our elders are viewing positively and expectantly, and I want to tell you about that. Over six months ago, Pastor Sam Kramer came to our elder board and let us know about a growing vision that he had in his heart to become a church planting pastor. Now, we encouraged Pastor Sam to pursue this vision and soon thereafter, he told us that he had contacted and been approved by a denomination known as Converge Northwest to plant a church in Liberty Lake in late 2023. After prayerful deliberation, our, our elders concluded that although God is not leading Valley Forth Church to plant a church or support a church plant at this time, we do want to affirm Pastor Sam as both a pastor and a church planter and to also affirm his ministry with Converge. With our blessing, Pastor Sam has begun aggressively pursuing his plans for this venture. While he pursues his plans, Pastor Sam will remain on our staff, serving as youth pastor until September 2023, after which time he'll involve himself full-time in planting a church in Liberty Lake with Converge. His ministry here at VFC will continue as normal until then, including his weekly ministries, student summer camp, and his leadership of our students and volunteers in Lead the Cause 2023 in Colorado, which I just described to you. Although Valley Forth Church is not formally involved with Sam's church plant, if Pastor Sam asks you to personally or financially support his future ministry, please prayerfully consider doing so. While Pastor Sam is preparing for his new ministry, he will assist us in a search for a new youth pastor for VFC. Prayerfully, this individual will begin his ministry at Valley Forth Church by September 2023. Pastor Sam has been a great blessing in his ministry here over the last six years. We esteem him and Michaeline and affirm this next step in their ministry future, and we encourage you to do so as well.
Amen to, to that uh, great contribution that he makes. And so my report to you is one of progress as people young and old have continued to find Jesus and ministry here. It's a report of change as gifted servants move into their future, but it's also a report of a lot of hard work to come because we're still guided by the same mission and values that have been part of our church for 50 years. And I want to shift to that, if I may, and introduce the teaching portion of my time with you. Uh, Six years ago now, I think, maybe a little bit more than that, uh, I was privileged to serve as kind of a servant communicator and leader with our elders and ministry staff, staff, excuse me. And we uh, put on paper and into uh, our communication with their congregation uh, a mission and vision statement for our church. And we also identified 10 core values that, that kind of put into words what God uniquely does here at Valley Forth Church. And I try to bring that mission statement into your thinking as often as I can. Hopefully, you know, we, we wrote it to pass what they call pass the t-shirt test. It had to fit on, on a t-shirt, and it did. I don't know if you remember that. At our 50th anniversary, it fit on a t-shirt. Making, teaching, and sending disciples for the glory of ta- God. Or make, teach, and send if you're, really, if you're wearing a small t-shirt. That's, that's how it goes. Now, that's given to us. We didn't make it up. Churches are not like businesses that can give themselves their own mission. We receive that commission from God, and it's from Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go into all the world making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I command you. And so that's our mission, and that's not changing because it's from the changeless God, right? Our vision is a more detailed description of how our world near and far can change if we're laboring at our mission. And that's too much detail for me to get into today, but I invite you to visit that on our website and you can see it in in its detail. And that's something that I've been convicted about that I haven't talked about enough, so I'll be talking about that more in the future. But our core values are also on the website and those are short statements that our elders prayerfully identified as things that are true about our church that are, that are valued by our church. They've been valued by the people that have been around here since its founding, and they're valued by the people who start attending here. Even today, if you're new, you'll find that these things are true about us. There are 10 of them, but for the sake of time, I just want to focus on two, and then I'm going to bring you a teaching to remind you of the commitments that we've made to live out our values. And uh, I'm going to put these values together and then build a teaching out of it. The third of our values of the 10 is this. We value, there it is, biblical preaching. These are the words of our elders and staff written years ago. They are unchanging. We value biblical preaching. What is biblical preaching? We believe in preaching that draws the content of the message from the content of the text. And it's drawn out of the verse that Gene read to you earlier today, preach the word. Now you say, well, that seems pretty obvious, but no, you're going to find out today that in the, in the evangelical environment around us, it's becoming harder to find. So much preaching today does not start with the Bible nor end with it. It's a creation of human thinking. And uh, that will not change your life in Christ. So the preaching we do here draws its content from the content of the text. When Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, he was saying, preach the word as your message. Go to the word for your message. Go to the meaning of of the word for the content of your message. Go to the structure of the word for, for the manner of your message and stay with the teaching of the word as your ultimate message. Don't add to it, mess with it, detract from it, or invent around it. And so we've always valued that. Now, there's another one that goes along with it, and it's value number eight, which talks about putting that into practice. We value obedience to the Scripture. By that, these are our words. We believe that Scripture should guide all our decisions and practices as a church with a spirit of becoming doers of the Word, James 1.22. When I got here a little over 10 years ago, One of the things 
that helped me understand the Spirit of God was, was leading me here to Valley Forth was I constantly heard that phrase, we want to become doers of the word. I heard it a lot. I heard it from people I came to respect. Now, I thought initially, maybe that's what you tell a pastor who's a preacher. <laughs> and I thought, well, I hope that that's more than just interview language. Oh, it's turned out to be true. It is a key value of those that started Valley Forth Church. It's a value for those who have labored for Valley Forth Church to come through its battles and survive. And it's a value of every single one of the elders and ministry staff we have today. In other words, we don't want to just be a classroom church. We want to be a church where the truth of the word is poured into lives and then called into action in real relationships, in the real context, so that we become doers of the word we hear. Those two have to come together. And so that's why we included them in our values. Now, in that regard, a number of times as I've presented the state of the ministry to you in the past, I've taken one or more of our values and I've just made that the point of my preaching message. So now I've gone from being kind of the pastor of the church and the organizational voice, if you will. And I hope, by the way, that was helpful to you. Maybe you're new to churches and you hardly ever hear a church talk about what it does. Uh, I hope that this has helped you and given an insight to you about us on the organizational side at the very least. But now I want to move into teaching the word to you today. This pulpit and this platform is not primarily for leadership or business or organization. It is a place to open the eternal word. And so every time I get up here, I want to do that. So now that I've given you some insights into our work as a body, I want to take you into the word and call you to something that will make this even more pleasing to God. I want to talk about becoming and continuing to become a church that values biblical preaching and obedience to the scripture by becoming doctrinally committed. I want to call you to prayer that the VSA, VFC may continue to be a church that is doctrinally committed. And that's going to be the point of the teaching that we now come into. Doctrinally committed. Now, right away, that phrase might either kind of make you a little defensive because you're not really sure what it means, or you may have a misconception of it that might turn you off. Stick with me. All of that's going to be dealt with. I want to talk about becoming a better church. Now, whenever you talk about uh, growth in your church and getting better, um, you're going to talk about your church, but sometimes you're going to talk about other churches too, because we live in an evangelical environment and we're influenced by it. And so I'm going to speak to some things that I see happening out there that if we're not careful, can influence us away from what God has for us that can take us away from holding to the truth. That's happening at a record pace in the evangelical world. So I am going to talk about not only our church, but I'm going to talk about other churches and other things that are happening in the Christian world. And unless you think uh, I'm going to err by becoming judgmental, oh no, <laughs> I'm, I've been in this for over 30 years. And I understand the difficulty of becoming what God wants you to be, not just as a man, but as a church. And, uh, and perfection, well, ain't happening here. I go back to the words of Charles uh, Spurgeon, a great preacher of the past. I quote him a lot. And he's, I believe, the guy that originated this. It's, it's, everybody's taking credit for it now. But he said, quote, the day you find the perfect church, it becomes imperfect the moment you join it. <laughs> End quote. How many of you heard that? There you go. See, I'm not talking out of school. So I, I understand that. I get that. We're not the perfect church. We're not going to be. I'm not the perfect pastor. I'm really not going to be. The insights that I have are helpful, but the only essence of true insight is biblical, right? 
And the church is called to this endless pursuit to, to become more matured into the, into the nature of Christ. We'll never get there. And we have a supernatural enemy. I've told you many times, the, the, the life of the local church is the only activity on the planet that is supernaturally opposed. It's the only one. Satan will be happy to let you get involved in virtually anything you want, as long as it's not becoming like Jesus and living for his church. So we have all of that that we battle with. And so we're not perfect, nor are the churches around us and the things that are going on around us. But even though we're not to be perfect, we are to be committed to truth. We are to be more and more committed to becoming the church and becoming a church that reflects the truth. T.S. Eliot, not really the most doctrinally based of believers, but I do think T.S. Eliot was a believer, the poet. Put it this way, the church must be forever building for it is forever decaying within and attacked from without. That's right. We all battle our own sin as individual Christians and as churches gathered, and we have that supernatural opposition. Eliot had a good insight there. And so we're going to talk about just one part of the battle, and the battle that I hope we don't abandon this year is becoming a doctrinally committed church. Now, that, like I said, provokes some questions. So let me just, and you won't see a lot of notes on the, the screen or anything. I'm just going to go free flow with you from my, my, my study and thought about this and share with you some of the questions and answers that people have, and then build the rest message around three major questions. But before I get into the basic outline of what I want to say, I guess I have to answer two questions. The first is, what is doctrine? What is doctrine? That's a word. Of course, pastor, you know what it is. That's your bread and butter. But I'm, 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 you know, we're just Joe and Jane Christian here. What is doctrine? It's a little intimidating. You might have come from an organized church background where doctrine was very, very much a thing. And so that might intimidate you. Well, the word translated doctrine in the New Testament from the, the original Greek language means instruction, especially as it applies to lifestyle application. So isn't that interesting? It's not just knowing, it's doing. How fantastic. Both of those values that we have. It's instruction. In other words, it leads you into things you do not naturally know. So doctrine means instruction, especially as it, appear, as it applies to lifestyle application. And it's teaching that the New Testament says comes from an authoritative source. You don't come up with doctrine. It is delivered to us. Now, what is, how is it delivered? From God. We know this from 2 Timothy 3.16. What's the source of doctrine? It's not human invention. It's not personal philosophy. It's not growth and understanding. It's not what society seems to discover or uncover. It is what the Bible and the Bible alone reveals. 2 Timothy 3.16. The Bible says of itself that it is profitable for doctrine. There's our word for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Indicated there is that you do not know naturally doctrine on your own. Even after you come to Christ, you have a new mind that must now be filled with God's truth. And that comes from one place, the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16. It alone is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproving and instructing your life. But you've got to be careful about that. Because there are a lot of people out in the religious world who invent their own doctrine and slide it alongside biblical doctrine and try and take you off the path. That's why in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul told Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Because somebody wants to take them both from you if you're a spiritual leader. They want to take your testimony through your integrity and they want to take your doctrine through deception. By the way, the one you want to pray for the most in terms of being doctrinally protected in your church is anyone who is a teaching pastor. If you take the pastor, then you've taken the flock. And so Paul told Timothy, you watch your life, your integrity, and your doctrine closely. Watch what you believe. Watch what you teach. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. There's the connection of pastor to people. The problem is that 
Our sinful natures don't easily submit to God's decrees, to doctrine in general. Like I said, we won't come upon it upon our own. And our our flesh wants us to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we're more comfortable with or parts that we don't want to have anything to do with and discard those. Or our pride leads us to replace what God seems to say with what we know he meant to say. Ever run into that? And so we've got these twin threats out there to what the Bible has always said. Now, this has been true since the very beginning of the truth battle. This is why Jesus so oftentimes rebuked the scribes and Pharisees for teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. Remember that? He says, you have a whole nother set of things that God really meant to say, and they occurred to you. You're putting it over God's word and discounting God's word. And so the battle has always been there. But the Bible does seem to tell us that as this age of the church progresses and as things darken, the battle over deception and doctrine is going to get worse. Paul said that there will be seasons of this. You can take this and interpret it as you will, but in 2 Timothy 4.3, he wrote to Timothy and he says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. What a phrase. They know it's sound doctrine, but they're not putting up with it. They put themselves in the judgment seat, in the evaluator's chair, over what they're going to obey or not, or what they're going to accept or not. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, spiritual people. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Have you not seen that, beloved? That's what's going on all over the place today, around the world today, not just in kooky, creative America today. You want to get into some weird doctrine, just go overseas. You'll bump into some of the weirdest teaching you've ever heard. Well, that leads me to really the second question you might have, and that is, well, if that's doctrine and if that's how important it is, what are some examples of false doctrine? What is false doctrine? Well, let me define it in a sentence. It's not original to me. It's any idea that adds to, takes away from, contradicts, or nullifies the doctrine given in God's word. I mean, a very obvious example would be any teaching about Jesus that denies his virgin birth, for example. We know that as biblically taught Christians, that should ring false to you. A false doctrine. Now, again, this has been around since the dawn of the truth battle. And again, drawing from the pastoral epistles, Paul to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, he said, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, there's our word, and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he's conceited and understands nothing. There again, you've have, you got the human element of, this is what God really meant to say. Or if he'd gotten it right, this is what he would have said. We've given it some thought. So, now that doesn't mean that sincere Christians cannot look at texts and, and the scripture and, and come up with different interpretations, might govern church policies or, or styles of worship and things that are less clearly delineated in the word. But no, we're talking about the essence of Christian truth here. We're talking about things that are that are uh, essential, fundamental truth, if you will. So let me just give you four examples that might help you uh, touch on it, and then I'm going to get into the body of my message as I prepare to wrap it up already uh, by, by talking about what I hope we keep continuing to be. Here's some examples of, of what I would say would be false teaching, any teaching that redefines the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we start. Doctrine that denies his deity or his virgin birth, or his sinless nature, the nature of his death, or his physical resurrection. If you deny any of those things, you are living in false doctrine. And I bump into people all the time that deny one or more of those. Some of them are involved in sect or cults, but many of them just call themselves Christians. But if you believe any of that false teaching about Jesus, oh no. Second, would be the idea that there are many paths to God. That's a false doctrine. 
It's based on the idea that people claim God, God is love, and therefore if he is love, he must accept any person's effort and any pathway. But it flies in the face of the entire Bible. It eliminates any need for the Son of God to ever have taken on flesh and ever gone to that cruel cross. And it directly contradicts the words of Jesus that he is the only way to God. This, however, is a growing false teaching in the Christian environment we have today. So any teaching that redefines the person of Jesus Christ is one example. Another example is, any, is the idea that there are many paths to God. Third is what popularly is becoming known as the erasing of hell. I've preached about this here from this platform many times. The, the, the therapeutic denial that God could, could ever create a place ran into it again this week in a conversation that God would create a place called hell and God would have eternal moral standards. Well, if you deny hell, you're directly contradicting many of the words of the master himself. And you're, you're directly breaking apart the nature of God who is both love and justice. You're shattering the scripture. But this is growing by leaps and bounds in the Christian evangelical world. Books are being written about it. Classes are being taught on it. That's an example. And then finally, one that I see happening a lot is a, is a teaching that adds any human works to Christ's finished work on the cross as a necessary ingredient for your salvation. That can be adding things that you have to do in addition to trusting Christ, or it can be saying that essentially anything you do is going to be good enough. And yet Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says we are saved by the grace of God through faith and nothing we can add, do can add to or take away from it. And so you see, these are just some examples. Now do you get the weight of this? I'm not talking about debates over how you handle uh, communion or, or some, some matters of what worship looks like. I'm talking about what saving truth looks like. And so now let me just go to, having answered those two questions, let me go to three questions, and you will see these on the screen behind me that form what I want to call us to keep doing. First of all, the answer to the question, what is a church that's doctrinally committed? And I put it in a phrase. A doctrinally committed church is made up of people who know well and agree upon the basics of the Bible. We've got to keep being that. This is why we go through membership. This is why we teach expositionally and we open the whole counsel of God because you don't get the whole teaching of God unless you do it that way. This is why when error is out there, I speak to it and you might think I'm being too tough or judgmental. Again, go, I'll go back to my earlier phrase. There's no one perfect, but some can be deceived. There's a big difference between being imperfect and being deceived. So a doctrinally committed church is made up of people who know well and agree upon the basics of the Bible. And again, this is, this is not emphasized enough in our evangelical world. Too much of our evangelical world is dominated by what we've called pragmatism. And that is basically the biggest question to ask somebody when they arrive at your church is, do you like it here and can we get you busy here? No, really, that's true, because they become organizations instead of bodies of Christ, and they become driven by the preference of a target market consumer as opposed to the call of truth. And you get all turned around that way. And so you're asking the wrong questions and you're leading people in the wrong direction. You say, well, I see a lot of those organizations growing. I mean, a lot of people really like that. And I would say, well, if, if it's untrue, then all you're doing is getting a bunch of people faster together and you're leading them in the wrong direction more effectively. Did, did any of that just make sense to you? You might be gathering people, but you're leading them in the wrong direction faster. Does this make any sense? No. If, if, if we look at outward terms, it does. 
Now, where in the Bible does it give us instruction? Now I get to the text. That's the second question. The first is, what does a, a doctrinally committed church look like that I hope we continue to be? I just gave you that in the phrase. Let me go to the second of my three questions as I close. Where does the Bible teach this? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 15 that I read to is just one of the places. I just gave you about five or six from First and Second Timothy that teach it. But here in Ephesians... It's real interesting. This is a passage that most people don't think teaches about doctrine, and yet it's all about doctrine. The reason a lot of people don't think it teaches about it is because they only quote the last verse in this long sentence. And you know Paul loved long sentences. Thank God for Paul. <laughs> he also loved long preaching. People fell asleep and died while he preached. So you have it pretty easy. I'm just telling you that right now. But anyway, I digress. But in this long sentence, everybody focuses on verse 25, which says, speaking the truth in love. I can't tell you how many people I've met who are driven by their counseling mindset or their therapeutic experience or their love for relationships, saying the church is all about being a place where you can be affirmed for who you are and that you basically can find encouraging relationships there, people who will speak the truth and love to you. And it's very emotionalized and charged with that. And so a lot of people look at that text. It must be talking about the, faith, the, the fact that the church, a good church, is affirming to you and it will speak the truth and love to you and build you up. Well, that's only a sliver of what's there. Go back and let's read the whole thing. Verse 11 is where this started. And he gave, talking about God giving the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That last phrase is probably one, one person, one word. Pastor teachers. If you wonder what one of those are, you're looking at one. And there are others on our staff that are that way. Pastors and teachers, evangelists, given to the church. What for? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What I just spent about 20 minutes talking about earlier. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's not talking about relational kindness or emotion. That seems to be talking about what you know, and actually it does in the New Testament to do a, do a study sometimes of the words of the faith, and you will find it almost always refers to doctrine, to the fullness of what we believe as Christians, and you're supposed to attain to that, and you're supposed to be part of a group of people that are unified around that. That's why doctrinal statements matter to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. There it again. Not the experience with the Son of God, but the knowledge about who Jesus is. Virgin born, eternal God, the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for your sin. And on we go. What, what did I just tell you gets destroyed by false teachers? The, the knowledge of the Son of God. And you're supposed to mature in it. Now look at the next verse. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of, what's the word? Doctrine. What's this passage about? Relationships? No, it's about doctrine. It's been mentioned four times now in one way or another, and now you get the word itself. What are they trying to do? Deceive you out of true doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, false teachers, and what's going on in the Christian world. Then he gets to his point. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So now what is speaking the truth in love all about? It's not affirming some person. It's not encouraging some person. It's speaking the truth in love to somebody outside your church that's trying to deceive you, saying, I love you, but you're wrong. And inside the church, it's encouraging the believers by speaking the truth to one another in love. Doctrine. 
When you hear a brother reading a book or, or, or being influenced by a teacher and you know it is going to lead him off trail, you speak the truth and love to him in your men's group. And you say, there might be some concerns I have about that. I see some holes in that. Let's talk about it. I think that might be deceiving. Or have you really thought that through, brother? The same thing happening in a women's ministry or in a home group or whatever. That's what you're speaking the truth about. It's not speaking affirmation. It's speaking truth. I hope you see the point. It's all about doctrine. And so that's what a doctrinal church looks like. The truth, the truth, the truth. Well, here's the last question that I structured this brief teaching around, and that would be, why does this really matter? Well, two things that I just put into words of many. The first reason this matters is, is because it means that biblical maturity is as important as missional activity. Now, missional activity may be new to you. It is the current word in evangelicalism that identifies a truly good church. That it's busy about making a difference in the lives of people. And what you're busy about may be even more important than what you know and believe. I understand making a difference in lives. I do not understand making it more primary than living in the truth. Because I, if I get into somebody's life and make a difference, but I'm not bringing the truth with me, again, I'm just reliably leading them in the wrong direction. But this is a big deal today. I was watching a young pastor with a lot of influence, not around here, but on video, and, and he was teaching against deep teaching. He told his people, if you want to find deep Bible teaching here, leave. Wow. And he said, if you want doctrine, I don't want you. Because, quote, doctrine makes you fat and useless. So anyway, it was one of those YouTube things where you could put comments. I almost, but I didn't because the spirit controlled me. I almost wanted to type in, so you want me to be like you, fit and clueless? I said, that's what I, I thought about doing. <laughs> but here's the thing. I understand that to a point, but no, that's wrong. That's wrong leadership. What happens when the Bible ignites your life and you become filled with more of its truth? What do you want to do? You want to share it. You want to live it out, don't you? No, you don't become fat and useless. But that's what's going on out there. And let me give you, just, I know this might go a little long, but I, I, I already prepared you. I, I'm, I, I'm, I, this is part of what I go through because I bump into people all the time that, that uh, fight against deep teaching. And here's three responses that I've gotten over the years when people tell me, don't teach so much doctrine or don't go so deep in the passage or get the church involved with more impactful things. And I say, but you know, no, when, when it's deep, it needs to be taught. And you, it, there's three things, three responses to doctrine is important. A lot of people that will tell me, yeah, but it's so hard to understand. It's too hard to understand. We should just go out and make a difference. Doctrine is really only for the smart Christian. It's, it's for people that are into that. Well, my answer would be in Ephesians 4, 11, you must have a different translation. Yeah, because when it says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, you must have the creative reversed version or something. I don't know what you have. Until only the motivated and interested attain to the unity of the faith. Okay, maybe that's what that really is supposed to say. Maybe that's what God meant to say uh, if he meets you. I don't know. Verse 14, so that only strongly interested people may no longer be children. You want that? You want to continue to be, be tossed to and fro by the ways and carried about. If you want that, rather than speaking the truth in love, it says we are to grow up in every way in him. It doesn't say the smart Christian, the motivated Christian, the Bible college interested Christian. No, this is. So what if it's too hard? So. And you know what? One of the best answers to most questions you get in America today is that. So? 
It just reveals that most people don't even think through what they're challenging. But anyway, and by the way, no, there are mysteries in the scripture that you will probably not fully understand until you see him. But even though it's difficult and it strains your brain, it is majestic to know. And even if you can't fully understand it, you do need to truly believe it. Example, the Trinity. Who fully understands it? No one can. But you better believe it or you will log yourself out of Christianity and get involved in the teaching of somebody that drops by your door. Second thing a lot of people tell me is, yeah, doctrine, I get what you're saying about doctrine, but it's so divisive. It's so divisive. Let's just circle around Jesus. And I get that. Yes, you can take doctrine and make it into a hammer. Hopefully I'm not doing that today. But when people say, let's just circle around Jesus, my answer is always, which Jesus? Because I have found in my life and travels as a pastor teacher that if I, might, if I meet five Christians in conversation, I will probably hear about eight different Jesuses in the sense that people are that doctrinally confused these days. That doctrinally confused. And don't just take my word for it. Some surveys came out over the last year or two that are very concerning for Christian leaders. The latest one that came out surveyed evangelicals found that almost one-third, 30%, agree with the statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Okay, now you remember what I said. was What, what was the first example of false teaching? Redefining the person of Christ. 30% of people that are sitting in an evangelical church don't believe Jesus is God. Well, then he couldn't have saved you. And he cannot be your Lord. Almost half, 46% in the survey, believe everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. And God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Judaism and Islam, that means it's ollie-ollie income-free for eternity. What was the second deception I mentioned to you of false teaching in the world today? Erasing hell. Universalism is the, wor is the new thing that's going on in lots of Christian conferences and teaching, deconstructing the idea of hell. We misunderstood God on that one. I meet people all the time that are trying to pedal that in churches. Well, the pedals on that trike are being pulled off here. It's not happening here. Third, people say, yeah, I, I get the importance of doctrine, but it's not practical enough. I mean, my life's tough. I need new ideas and practical principles every week. Just give me those. That's what gets me through my life. And I realize that we've cultivated a whole generation of Christians who just want happier experiences, but aren't that interested in Christ-like character. That's what's gone on. I've had people challenge me and say, you preach too much about Jesus. Get to something more practical. You go way too, and way too much Bible references from you. It's too tiring to listen to you. Get back to practical. I, I, I never forget, it. this was years ago now, I, I preached and, and, uh, and a, a couple, baby boomer age, I guess I'm still a baby boomer. Not much boom left in the baby, but anyway, there it is. <laughs> For my age. This was a while ago, so you could, and they came up and they had their younger teen or younger 20s kids with them. And they said, just wanted to say hello, been here a few weeks, and we're kind of torn about whether we want to stay. And I said, well, what's, what's the issue? And they said, well, our, our kids like your instruction, they like your teaching, but we just want inspiration. We just want you to be more inspiring and talk about our practical life and give us more principles and ideas. They like your instruction, though, so now we're torn. And I wanted to go back to this text. I wish I'd done it at the time. I don't remember exactly what I said. I just, where it says, grow up to mature manhood. Don't be children tossed to and fro. Now, with all of that said, as I 
truly close. Um, I don't want you to get the idea that we're all about learning here, not about living. That's not what I want to see happen here. Michael Horton, theologian, said, quote, the church is not only a place where disciples go once a week, but where they are made every day. And that's important to me and to us. That's why we talked about our church today. That's why I talked about some of our prayer goals today. Paul Tripp, uh, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, put it a little differently. He said, the church is not a theological classroom. And I would agree with that. I would also add, it's also not an evangelistic rally. The church is not a theological classroom. He says, it is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, gather to know and love him better, and learn to love others as he designed. That's the outworking of that in a nutshell. And that's what I hope we keep laboring at. If the Lord gives us months, years, that's part of our value. We want to be biblically responsive people. And so I hope you understand that's the heart of our elders. It's the heart of our staff. And it's a reminder from your pastor. 